I'm David Matson, and this is Primetime 89, a chance for me to visit and talk story, check in and catch up with classmates from a generation ago, finding out how they're doing, where they are, how they got there, and what experiences they've had along the way. Hey, how's it, David? How are you? Hey, brother. How are you doing? Very good. Very good. Good to yeah. see you, too, brother. <laughs> hey, so, so how you been, man? Uh, you know, yeah, just trying to get through this COVID thing with as minimum damage as possible and <laughs> maintain a normal as life as possible. But yeah, you know, you just got a whole more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is your yeah. background over there? Is that your yard? Or, I mean, it looks like a picture. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually my side yard. Yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my yard and then my neighbor's yard. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Right, uh, Luckily, you can look and see the grass because it's all long. I never mow. <laughs> wow. So where do you live? In Hilo on the Big Island, yeah. I was raised in Pune, which is real country. I mean, we never even have pavement on our roads and, and mailmen <laughs> don't come to your house. Yeah, that, that's how country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to go to the post office to go pick up your mail. Well, in my younger days, I did a lot of diving and stuff like that. A friend of ours had a beach house in Kapoho. And so every year, well, when I was a kid, we would go to Kapoho and that was our yearly thing. Yeah. And then when I was older, I started taking my kids there. And it was right on the water, all the, the tide pools access. So that's basically where I learned how to dive, to fish, to do everything. You know, my kids learned how to swim there. And then Tutupela came along and it's all gone. So it's been a while. I think cobwebs on my gear, yeah. <laughs> so growing up, do you have any siblings? I have a sister. She's she's like eight years younger than me. I was more the babysitter than anything else. Then I went away to school. So it wasn't until we were older that we kind of really got to know each other as adults because there was such a big gap. I was always the big brother. Now we have a great relationship. We moved to Hilo when I was three. Okay. So I have a few memories of Kaneohe living there when I was when I was real young. Because my parents were raised in Kailua, Oahu, yeah? Oh, okay. So they're Kailua grads. And then they moved back to the Big Island where all our family was originally from when they were in their 20s when I was young. My great-grandparents moved to Oahu. Got it. Yeah. Then my grandparents and my parents were there, were raised there. Mm -hmm. And then when they got married, they their honeymoon on the big island parents moved back and that's when they kind of fell in love with the place and and three years later boom we're back over here yeah most of the family all went okay we're going back to the big island boom, 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 boom. and everybody moved back to the big island after we did so we we're all here again <laughs> so you know being that you were on the big island since you were three pretty much mm -hmm. all your memories probably big island yeah we lived in hilo when i was young okay until i was about eight or nine and then my parents bought a piece of property out in Paradise Park, which is in Puna, and then they built a house there, and then we moved out to that side. So I have memories of both. What was it like growing up in Hilo? Big Island in general is a beautiful place. It's real rural, low-key. Everybody's real kind of laid back. You walk into a store, even though you don't know everybody, they all say hi, you know. You run into people you know. It's kind of has that small town feel. It's changing a little now. There's a lot more people, a lot more traffic than used to be. Mm -hmm. But um, it still has that flavor, yeah. One of my aunties, her kids were half the time living with grandma. 
And so they were all the time, we're always together with the cousins. Because they spent a lot of time with us. They actually would spend summers at my house. And, and we all kind of migrated to grandma's house because my parents were working parents. So I would go to grandma's house. She lived right in town. So it was central for everybody. Go to school, walk down to my grandma's workplace. She worked at the, like this uh, big clinic, which was where all the women went, young women went. Sure. And then she would bring me home, you know, uh, take me to her house. I'd wait for my parents to get off. So there was all this kind of extended family thing that was going on. You know, but I had another auntie who she was actually my uncle. She was on Dry Queen. Yeah. So she was actually instrumental in that whole when AIDS first came out in, in Hawaii. And actually, she used to perform at the Glade in Waikiki. And she was all part of that up and coming drag lifestyle, too, that was part of Hawaii. And she actually would pop in and out of our lives, too. So we had an unusual mix of people in our family things. And so we could be at like, Auntie's house with my grandmother and we're all there with the family with a whole bunch of drag queens. We're all sitting there playing cards and stuff like that. And then, of course, we were just Paniava, which in the day was kind of more rugged back then, less family oriented. Yeah. So, you know, the thieves who stole come by and say, oh, we got a brand new 30 inch TV for 20 bucks. You like them? And you know, my sweet, innocent old grandma who went to church and everything like that. We go, how much? $20? Okay, here you go. And, and we'd load up the, the stolen into her car to take home and unload them inside her house, you know? So. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> interesting, but, you know, yeah, see yeah, all, yeah. all kinds, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very, uh, very flavorful kinds of experiences. Yeah. What kind of things did you guys do with your cousins? We're kind of lucky because my grandmother lived right on the golf course. Mm -hmm. So it, it, the driving range was her backyard. Oh. So our whole childhood with my cousins, at least at her house, we revolved around, we, I mean, stealing everybody's golf balls and, you know, playing golf in the back. And we, we had like this huge backyard that was, went on for miles because that, <laughs> that was the, the public range of the public course. Yeah. We made like we owned that place, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> it was fun though. There was this giant banyan tree that that was like the edge of the driving range. So everybody tried to shoot their balls and hit the banyan tree. Yeah. And then we were playing in the banyan tree while everybody's shooting their balls at you know. <laughs> <laughs> so so are you like decent at golf or pretty good at golf? Uh, I I I used to be better. Uh, I haven't played in a while. Um, my grandfather actually was a avid golfer and he. This is my, my other grandfather. He lived up to another golf course up in Volcano. He took me golfing from young. I remember walking on the course. Because he was a club member, I mean, he could just go on at any time. So we would just like, okay, I, I think I want to jump. And he would just grab his clubs, go to the golf course, and just jump on any hole he wanted to. And just walk on and didn't matter. Didn't, you know, he, he made like he owned the place. And because he was there for so long nobody said nothing so yeah. we, we used to go all around the golf course and play golf he actually made golf clubs so i have my own set of clubs that he made for me he made um, clubs for you yeah custom made sets so he would buy all the pieces and then come assemble them with different shafts and different types of of heads and whatnot different varieties for different types for he made his own clubs I've never heard of anybody do that. That's pretty cool. 
Yeah, he was a jack of all trades. He also made ukuleles. That was his other thing. He taught himself how to make ukulele just because he mm -hmm. wanted. So. Do you have any of the ukuleles that he made? Oh yeah, quite a few. Yeah. Wow. I have. I kept them. Yeah, and I I play, but I'm not you know a great player. And <laughs> went to school out in Pune after that, which is even more rural. So that was like a big culture shock. Went from camp school where they would burn the sugar cane right next to us when we were in school, raining ashes, you know, nobody thought nothing of that. Yeah. yeah. We're all great coming into class and uh, to Honolulu, big city, you know, oh, you're on your own. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> it was kind of culture shock going to Kamehameha during high school, you know. But... What grade were you when you entered Kamehameha? I was a freshman, ninth grade. I found out in eighth grade, my parents told me, oh, take the test, you know. Can't hurt. I mean, I was an okay student. I had no real direction. And I was going to switch from Kiao, which only went to eighth grade, to YKL, which was, you know, in town. I was doing a school switch anyway, but I guess I did okay on the test because I got in. My parents told me, oh, go for one year. If you don't like it, come back. Mm -hmm. So what was your first memory of Kamehameha as a student? And how did you feel about attending Kamehameha? I was a little overwhelmed, quite frankly. It was, I'd never lived in dorm life. I'd never been away, you know, from home for any long length of time. And everybody's so different, yeah? So it was like a whole culture shock. I was aboard an Iolani dorm. That was fun. I went. Uh, within three months, I got kicked out of the dorms because all the seniors said, oh, we're going to have a dorm party at the beach when we're doing a camp out. Come on, pay 10 bucks. So, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, sounds like fun. Yeah, boom. Oh, all busted. Half the dorm, kicked out. <laughs> so I got to live with my auntie uh, in Kaneohe for a while, which was a good experience and made me appreciate the dorms a lot more. <laughs> Yeah, once I got back in, I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that mistake again. <laughs> Got to be honest. At the times, you know, it was old school boarding back then. All those, you know, things they talk about nowadays, like bullying, hazing, and all of that. I mean, that was just a fact of life back then. I remember that it's like the first day we we're all there. The upperclassmen, they take you in, and they were all nice. They got everybody, they tell, oh, we, we like you go inside, and we're going to put this shirt on your face. And we want to see how many sit-ups you can do. One person in the room at a time. Finally, your turn. Oh, come on. So you lie down, you put the shirt over your face. You hit. Now, now, as soon as you pull a shirt off your face, start doing your sit-ups, yeah? And so, okay, boom, they pull the shirt off. You go up, boom. <laughs> <laughs> That's just one small example of, of things that happen, you know, all the time in the dorm. We have a lot of good memories to, to talk about now because of it. It's one of those things where if it doesn't kill you, it only makes you stronger. Asshole. I know. <laughs> I know. That kind of stinks. You know, it, it could really yeah. stink. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Actually, I was involved in art from Kapalama. I took uh, ceramics and a bunch of art classes from Mr. Harvey and other couple other teachers up there, print, printmaking class. Was there any teacher that, that left an impression on you such that um, you would love for them to be your your kid's teacher too? I took a class from Kihei De Silva once, probably a, he, one of the better teachers I had. When I got accepted into Komimea, first thing right off the bat, they 
put me in the remedial math, remedial reading classes. So I had to take this writing comp class from Kihei. And I ended up getting thrown in this class with basically all the Ka'ava boys, all Robert Inigo, Kanyala Sheldon, all the North Shore guys, yeah. So uh, Mike Kealoha, you know, all, yeah. all, all of the Baradas, yeah, yeah, yeah. So which was great for me because that was like right in freshman year, I think it was, second semester. and. They're all country boys, and here I was from the country. Yeah. Ended up making a lot of friends there. Ended up being my lunch crew I would go eat with for, you know, several semesters. You know, upper campus playing music and stuff like that. So, yeah, and he made class fun. He showed us, basically, we watched Saturday Night Live. and Different things that were interesting, that were relevant to us. And then he would make us write so mm -hmm. Yeah. And treated us like real people. Sounds like he was a great teacher. So you were boarding. For all four years I'm going to say the name of a dorm, okay? And I just want you to shout out the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Kapiolani Nui. Uh, first thing that comes into mind, Kapiolani Nui was upper campus. So, okay. girls. <laughs> One of the ones that was easier to break in and out, I think. Kinau. You know, yeah, that was upper camp. That was like where the girls hung out. Yeah, so you're like, oh, if you're lucky enough, you after dinner, you would like go up there, check things out, and talk story with some of the girls, and until they get kicked out and go back to your dorm. Yeah. <laughs> Kaleo yeah. Papa. Kaleo Papa, the dorm advisor, Hots Hottinger. He used to run the school store over there, and in the dorms, we'd all go there to eat. And he would sell. Uh, like a waffle ice cream thing and or uh hot dogs with cheese inside and that was the go-to dorm store where everybody would eat their snacks after school you know another up, upper campus dorm again more girls couple <laughs> people was right above the the volleyball courts they're right next to iolani they were like the sisters who we knew because they were next to us, yeah, mm -hmm. so. So Kamehameha. Kamehameha, uh, again, uh, I remember, that's where Kiala Tim Singh, that was her dorm. My auntie actually was a uh, dorm advisor there. Luna Lilo. Luna Lilo, and we used to always be in there because that's where the weight room was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Luna Lilo guys were always cool. And all Andrew guys, that was there, they were the Luna Lilo crew. They're, they were always good fun, yeah. And I, I knew Andrew from before. He's from Big Island, too. We, we call him Kioni, but our parents were friends. So I've known him from small, small kid days, too. Yeah, but that's, that was kind of like my first introduction into that whole weight room scene and, you know, the, the boy power, you know. That. <laughs> All right, Iolani. Iolani, that was my crew. Yeah, yeah. It was funny because... um. They always said, oh, Yolani, that's where all the jocks go. And I, I was always wondering, well, what the hell am I doing here, quite frankly? Because that, that, that was not me, you know. <laughs> was was a good good bunch of brothers, you know. But all in all, it was it was good times. And we had we had some good dorm advisors too. I mean, Mr. Gordon Farm, Metzger, and they were tough, but they were fair and they cared. Yeah. What hasn't changed about you since high school? I guess the core of who I am and you know what I believe and my sense of love for my family and stuff like that, that that's remained the same well a lot of the people who are from Hamulu or who stayed there they kind of had the luxury of having the group you know and all the friendships kind of 
stayed the same and, and they've, they've grown with each other along the way. Mm-hmm. Whereas being off island and then kind of doing something that wasn't involved with anything that, that I got a lot of contact with uh, classmates, I kind of grew on my own and then had to get to know everybody again. But I can appreciate it more, I think, because I feel that in some ways I wish we had social media because I think I probably would have had an easier time maintaining those friendships. Now it's easier to do that. But maybe probably that too is, you know, sometimes you need time to develop who you are and become your own self away from everybody else. And now I can come back with fresh eyes and just appreciate everything for what it is. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was kind of like this getting over this this fact that I should put myself out there more to initiate some of those things because... You know, actually, seems like other people feel the same way. How do you think your classmates are going to remember you from high school? You know, quite frankly, I left after school because I was on Big Island. And you only see a small group of people all the time. I didn't see people for, oh shoot, maybe 20 years until I went back to the first reunion. I would hope that you would even remember me at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I know we never really hung out, but I remember you. You know? Yeah, yeah. I remember there was a, we had a couple times we went out, you know. I remember uh, you coming to the dorm one time after you got in a motorcycle accident. Oh, you yeah. A bike, yeah. <laughs> and you were, you were like all shaking up and whatnot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Who do you still keep in touch with from high school? My sister teaches at Navahi, the Hawaiian Immersion School. Okay. So a lot of actually the classmates from here got involved with Hawaiian language or culture or whatnot so there's a kind of a good sized group of the ones that remain outside of that group uh, the only one who's i've kind of in touch with was is probably darren yamamoto okay he was in my dorm we were friends during then after high school him and a, uh, my cousin and a, and a couple other friends we we all came kind of good and then we used to go over to maui and go visit him over there and stay at his house that's how I ended up getting tight with Matthew Alameda. We would all, all hang out in Maui and stuff like that. After high school, what did you do? My dad was already an artist. He was a graphic designer. So I kind of got dabbled into the art world when I went up there, but doing things I, I enjoyed doing. Yeah, And then when I came back home, I mean, automatically, once he knew I was interested in art, boom, he put me right to work. So <laughs> I was working from like, I think it was junior year summer already. I was working for him during the summer doing graphic design. Uh, I went to UH Hilo, got into art because that's what I was good at. And that's, you know, and I enjoyed doing it. My career has kind of been like that. It's not like I planned anything, but it's been an unfolding type of thing where you reach a certain point of your life and it's like, okay, I have choices at this point and mm-hmm. then you make a decision and then you go to the next path. Back and then, then it was real different. I was probably like pencil on paper. Huh? Oh yeah. All old school rulers, uh, light boards, background, cutting out ruby lips to do your t-shirt designs and that exacto skills. I have some, you know, momental scars from those old days of all the cutting and pasting we had to do, you know. It was good foundation though for a lot of technical art skills that nowadays a lot of graphic designers, they don't even touch that stuff anymore. Do you use any of those old school skills to do designs now? It's funny, I use them in other art mediums. So I do other arts. That's where those skills now come into play. I do clay and I do carving and, and things like that. So all those wood cutting and, and hand fine hand skills all translated into 
my artistic side I do now, but not so much on the graphic design side now because everything is done on the computer. Um, we still draw on the tablets, so you still use your drawing skills, but as far as cutting those days. Yeah, are, yeah. My undergrad major at UA oh, yeah? was ceramic art and sculpture. Oh, wow. That's my passion. So that, <laughs> my specialty when I was in the art was actually ceramics. That's what I ended up doing my focus on when I did my thesis. When I got out of school, I went straight into the business world, advertising, you know, back in those days too, was all in all the, had all the publications going on this week magazine. And that was all big. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody advertised, you know, it was, it was a little different back then. Yeah. So, so that's more the arena we worked in. Yeah. Being that you're on the big island didn't really slow things down. You guys still had plenty of work. Well, Dad had an established clientele. His specialty was actually logo design and image development. So a lot of local businesses in Hilo, actually, he was their first designer. So back then, it was more just we did graphics, image development, logo design, you know, a lot of advertising, a lot of album covers. I think Dad got a couple focus for graphic design for that. And that was basically where... I got my start, you know, cutting my teeth on graphic design was in, in those days. I mean, I decided to figure, well, what can we do together? And we were doing a lot of t-shirt designs, custom designs at the time for clients. Yeah. Our printer uh, had said, well, why don't you guys just go into business and do that? You know, so we said, sure, that sounds like a good idea. Mm-hmm. And we started Namakua Designs at that point. That was in 1999, I think. Wow. And then we just did clothing, t-shirt. Dresses, tops. We started out in Mary Monarch and then started doing craft fairs. In 2003, we opened our store. So with the body of art that you do, how much of the work that you do is the ceramics? Well, the ceramics, actually, after high school, I kind of took a little break. Didn't have access to all the facilities. Was really getting into work and everything like that where i finally got around to finding a studio and getting a wheel again and hooking up with some people who i could use their kilns at the time took about you know 10 years out of college before i got back into the game then started doing a few shows well being an artist you have to constantly reinvent yourself if you're going to have a career at art you can't think that okay this is what i do and this is going to be all I'm going to do because within the art world things change so it's like where I started what I was doing with hard advertising and graphics although those skills still carry through throughout my life yeah I did it's taken me on other journeys other doors have unfolded the clothing business we started to organizing craft fairs in the past 10 years I've gotten back into my fine arts and when COVID hit with the isolation and not being so busy with all the work. It's kind of just made me refocus on my art and realize that that's really what I want to do and get more into my fine arts again. And that's where I see everything going. Although I enjoy doing things for other people, it's very fulfilling to have your own mana'o and just to be able to create for the sake of creating and do it for yourself and mm-hmm. finding a focus that you have a passion for. You know, you do it for the soul and mm-hmm. you try to make everything else fit <laughs> after that. Exactly. And that's the best of what feels right, what, what makes you feel good, you know, putting your heart and soul and your mind into a piece. That's where the meaningful part of your life's work comes mm-hmm. from. 
what is it mostly that you do? Is it just throwing or hand building or mix? Mostly I throw and hand build. A lot of throwing and then hand building, applying and carving on after. Build the vessel and then do something trippy with it afterwards. Carve into it, add on to it, you know. Because I do a lot of graphic motifs for my graphic design side. So I have a huge body of, of work, of collection of stuff that like Ohe Kapala and Kappa designs and different things like that. I started incorporating that into my ceramic side. So that's a lot of what I do on top, either carving on or using resist with glazes and or, or hand building on top. Uh, a lot of uh, Hawaiian motifs and, and graphics and things like that. Some of my work, I use a lot of resist, and so it's real hard. What is resist? Well, that's like when you put something on the clay so that when you apply the like the like grease, you end up, yeah, like wax, you end up with a very hard edge or you can end up with very graphic hard edges. So I can get real intricate, hard edge detail, which is usually, most people don't see that on ceramics. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't have a studio for about two and a half years, almost three years now. Well, during that interim, I was doing more hand building, slab work, and started carving into stone. And I carved a point pounder. And just from that, I that was that kind of got me into that. Carved? You had carved a point pounder? Yeah, out of stone. Yeah, make one pohakuku iaere. How did you do that? Do you do it on a wheel? The first one, I started with the hardest stone I could possibly pick on the, this pohaku from the Ankole Kole side that had no blemishes inside, which was like perfectly rock hard, you know, basalt. And uh, I had just a bucket I filled with sand and I just kind of did a hand in old school and some kupunas had told me, oh, this is how we do it. I couldn't use regular tools. The stone was too hard. So I had to go diamond bit. Everything was all angle iron, uh, the angle grinder, the diamond blade. So the first one I made by hand, by eye, yeah? And it was pretty good. Uh, but then after that, my cousin saw what I was doing. He said, oh, I want to try it. And then he, a couple of days he said, hey, you know, you get jigs for that. You know, you can make, build this thing and you can put it inside and spin them. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> So I built it on jig and the ones after that, it was all, all with the jig. Just a simple jig where it holds it there and then when you use the grinding wheel, it's, you, can, you can spin it evenly. So yeah. that makes things a lot easier. What do you attach the jig to? Is it like your kick wheel or is it like a no, no, there's no power to it. The force of the angle is just a point. It's just a, a framework that has uh, two points that holds it. And what ends up happening is it's the angle grinder itself, the spin of the grinder, that as you go on it and you'll go and cut into the, the shape with the like wedges, like and then tap it out like how you do any other kind of you know move of wood or anything like that. So and then once you have your general rough shape, then you'll go and you'll start and pulling down off all that rough. That's where you kick up dust. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. Man. Uh, in fact, I have a little that me to carving this, which is like a yeah. palawa. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So this is my, my latest my That's project. Crazy yeah. cool. Yeah. It's huge. How heavy is that? Almost 10 pounds. Is it uh, very porous? Is that why? This it, one is a, is a porous stone. I got it from down Onikaka down here at the beach. So all the pukas actually 
the water will flow right through it. And that was kind of the intent with this particular piece. It's kind of a tribute to Kanaloa. So it is about the water uh, and the stone and the connection. Uh, so. <laughs> so it's really shiny, smooth too. So th those kind of yeah, wet now. I keep it stored in water oh. so that when I want to work it, I put out and then my diamond uh, blades, are, it's easier to cut them. And then I don't have to worry about burning out the blades. But right now I'm just in the sanding and polishing stage. Uh. So the water helps keep the blades cool then? Yeah, it just makes my uh, my tools last longer. Very important. So what do you do with all your pieces? You I basically make it just for my own personal thing. That's not something I, I try to commercialize on. So I basically send them to galleries and I enter them in shows and I sell them that way. Yeah, you know? Viewpoints Gallery in Maui has had my pieces. Uh, we do a little art center in Hilo that me and my dad produce, where we invite all artists, local artists, and have them all come and bring in their work. Then we're just going to a new show at Volcano Art Center for a private show. That's cool. You must be having so much fun with, you know, this art and artistic expression. You well, ironically, it's kind of fun. COVID, for a lot of things, has put everything down in the retail side. So we, our main bread and butter prior was um, craft fairs, which is all social entities uh, which are have all been shut down yeah. so now everything with uh, as far as our namakua graphic design side besides the custom designs we do has pretty much been online that's become what it is mm -hmm. so the good thing is it's enabled me to actually focus in other areas of my artistic arena that i i have and yeah. be able to put more time into that so this last year or two has really actually been kind of an awakening for me in the artistic side one of those uh double-edged swords or types of situations yeah can you share how you met your wife it's actually a blind date my cousin was dating this girl he knew from high school and she had a friend so the plan was, oh, let's all go out to the movies, you know, just kind of as a casual thing. It wasn't supposed to be like, and needless to say, <laughs> one thing led to another. And yeah, <laughs> it, it was a date, yeah. <laughs> but about a year before, I had this friend and she invited me on a camping trip. She had said, oh, I have this friend who's supposed to come camping and I want you to meet her. You guys would be perfect together. And I was kind of like, okay, whatever. But I went on the camping trip. Well, ironically, the friend got sick and never could come. Well, that was my wife because that was her other best friend. <laughs> so the two best friends, ironically, were both trying to fix her up with me. Uh-huh. Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not knowing it, unrelated, two totally different instances. Is she from the Hilo area? Yeah, she's from Hilo. She's one year older than me. And because I never went to Ikea, uh, which was the high school I was supposed to go to, I probably would have met her if I would have gone to high school, although she probably would have hated me because I was so kolohe and she was so straight. So it's yeah. probably better we didn't meet then because <laughs> <laughs> I probably would have been on her list of guys not to date. Yeah. <laughs> we were together as a couple probably maybe almost five six years before we ended up getting married yeah. mm -hmm. most of through college and then we both grad 
she got her master's and then, then we got married right after that and we had kids. Nice. What does she do? She's a teacher. She actually teaches Hawaiian language and culture at Keao High School. Oh, very nice. My kids, uh, girls, both girls went to Kamehameha in uh, Keao. They were lucky and we were blessed enough where they, they both got in and from kindergarten. And are, are both your daughters graduated from high school? Yeah, they both grad already. <laughs> wow. I, well, my daughter is actually going back to school because she got a business degree and she was like minoring in Hawaiian and she decided that the business just wasn't feeding the soul, wasn't doing it for her. And so she decided to go back to college to get her Hawaiian language degree and Hawaiian studies degree and she wants to teach or she, so she may be another teacher. Yeah. My younger one, actually, she's in UNLV studying to be an architect. She knew exactly what she wanted to do and boom, she went for it. She's just getting finished with her second year. We always knew that uh, she's not going to stay home to go to school. <laughs> We'd be lucky if we get her back after that. <laughs> just spread her wings and go and, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, carry yeah. to the world. Well, you know, you got to you give them the tools. It's up to them with how they use them. That's right. That's, that's good. That's the best we can do for them. What's your comfort food? I love my local plate lunches. That is still my go-to. You know, we have this place in Hilo called Koji's. It's one of those old monument pops. They're a hole in the wall. Their specialty is local mokos, and they make mm. this kochi loco that's pretty awesome with kimchi and mm. Portuguese sausage. And they were like one of the original local moko people when it started. Uh -huh. So um, I've been going there since I was a young kid. And I eat there about once a week. So <laughs> it's, okay. it's a lot of macaroni salad and gravy. You, Let me tell you're, you. you're definitely a steady customer. Yes, yes. What's your favorite type of food to eat? Probably Hawaiian food, but I only eat that at home because nobody makes good Hawaiian food out that mm -hmm. is worth me paying the money to have. Oh, yeah. So I eat a lot of Hawaiian food. I make all my own or it's all Hana made or somebody who made laulau's gifts to us or that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Make a lot of laulau's myself because I grow a lot of kalo. Eh? That's one of my things. Go every other week, I'm making up a batch of laulau just to use up the lao, yeah? How do you make your laulau? I try to put pork, a lot of fat. That's the key. Mm -hmm. And I try to put a piece of kalo inside, you know, taro itself. Okay. Sometimes I use the ha too from the, you know, the stem part. I cut mm -hmm. it up and put that, just adds more juice inside. Mm -hmm. Keep them real simple. I don't make them real big. I buy pork. I pre-cut it and I keep it in the freezer and I buy pork belly. And I, again, keep them all ready, like in prefab little packs. <laughs> when it's lao lao time, I just bust out a pack of meat, bust out a pack of fat and gather so much lao and boom, 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 you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 minutes, make all your lao lao, throw them in the pressure cooker, hour later, they're ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't waste nothing. I use them all, you know what I mean? So You're an equal I, opportunity lao eater. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nothing goes to waste. If it's not good enough for lao lao, I throw it in the freezer and I, when I have enough, I make luau stew. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've grown color for a long time. I have like some varieties that I've had for like 20 years. I've kept the same strain. Oh. So, but I grow lo'i kalo, wetland kalo as well. Yeah, I have lehua. In fact, I just harvested lehua last night. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Another Uncle Jerry Konanui, he, he's uh, very instrumental in, in growing kalo and recording all the history of that. He always asks several questions. What is the best variety of kalo out there? And the other question is, when is the best time to plant kalo? And his answers were this, yeah. The best variety is the one you have right in front of you. 
And the best time to plant is today, if not yesterday. It, it, it's a perspective of that it's never too late. You always just gotta seize that moment. Uh, if you feel like, you know, it's, it's the time, it's the time. You know, what kind of things do you do to, uh, to keep healthy? Okay, um, well, uh, ocean was really my calling. I still swim, so I swim every week. I go, go down to the beach and, and do my laps and stuff like that. I go down to Richardson, swim that beach. So how um, far do you swim when you do go swimming? Shoot, let's see, I do the whole length of the beach, five laps back and forth. It's probably just shy of a mile. Okay, wow. Yeah, it takes me about an hour, hour and a half. Depends. Some days aren't, you know, you don't feel up to it. You cut it short, but that's yeah. my average is, is, yeah, it's probably about that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a good release. Connects me, gets me back to the ocean. I love to see all the fish. I swim in the ocean and I, I swim right where the water breaks. The surfers are on one side and the water is breaking on the reef. So the fish are all there and all the surge and the current and the tide and so it's a lot of action, you know, so no time for any distractions besides what is right there in front of you. So you live in the moment. <laughs> that seems like a pretty intense moment. <laughs> well, you know, it, so I've done the pool swim. It's just too boring for me. I can't handle that. Yeah, I, I did the swim during high school and actually I was a swimmer before that. So when I came back, a friend of mine was like, oh, how come you don't swim anymore? And I was like, well. Oh, yeah, sounds good. And he started taking me out and then pretty soon it, it stuck. And yeah. ever since then, you know, for the past 10 years or so, that's been my go-to exercise. When I'm going in swimming and exercising, I look at that as that's like my church. Uh, I am going to spiritually pull it with the, the water as I'm embracing it as I do my swim. And, and it charges me at the same time as, as I'm getting my exercise. So not just physical, but uh, kind of spiritual and everything too uh, mm -hmm. but i'm a very spiritual person in that sense yeah so mm -hmm. i run walk the dog kind of thing so i try to work out more around at home mm -hmm. i do martial arts so i've been doing that for years so that's kind of like my go-to thing uh, what kind of martial arts started out with karate as a kid jumped to taekwondo in the later college then mm -hmm. i met up with this one uncle and he teaches Hawaiian martial arts, Lua. For the last 20 plus years, that's kind of been my go-to. Because of his background, I've actually had the privilege of meeting, oh, some of the masters in their day, you know, for different martial arts, uh, Danzin Ru, Jiu-Jitsu, uh, Professor Morrow, and uh, uh, David uh, Luahivi, uh, Uncle Solomon Kahihevalu. Um, I've had the privilege of meeting them, you know, doing things with them, training under them. It's been quite a journey as far as that goes. It sounds like you'd be fulfilling because it ties into the culture as well, yeah? That's kind of what I actually, I kind of searched it out. And then once I found it, then it stuck, yeah. <laughs> what do you do to unwind or relax? I'm always spending time in the yard. I love to do my kalo, grow plants, grow things. My dad got cancer in 2012, having to go through all the treatments and whatnot. Then he ended up getting his medical license because of that, when it finally was available. And then I've had some injuries and whatnot. So I, lately, especially, I've been de dealing with chronic pain and stuff like that. So 
the two things I ended up doing in the last couple of years to deal with that was one, I went to physical therapy and finally they gave me tools of how to, of how to cope with that and things I can do to alleviate it on my end. Uh, not long ago, I got my medical. Hey, if it works and it's natural like that, why not? Yeah. So every now and then, that's the joy unwinding at the end of the day. And that's how I do it. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't add as many calories on, onto you. No, weight. well, that's not true. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because are we edibles or are munchies? Because chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> they need to call you and <laughs> after that. <laughs> you know, moderation is the key, yeah? Like with anything else. So long as you use the tool correctly then and you're not abusing it, make you a better person and, and to make your life good, just like anything else. How do you feel about turning 50? Oh, you know, and I don't see myself as old, so it, it's not something that I dwell on. Mm-hmm. Although I do, you know, you know, lately have been more aware of like, okay, my health things and, and more conscious of that kind of stuff, realizing that, you know, as you get more aches and pains, it's like, oh, what is this? How come I constantly, you know, sore from this or, you know, that? And yeah, I mean, it has a way of catching up. I never took meds. Now all of a sudden I have to take something for heartburn. Otherwise, I daily, otherwise, you know, I have, I thought I was having heart attacks for a while and it was like, oh. Ended up coming, being, oh, you have acid reflux, you know. I was like, okay, <laughs> so whenever something like that happens, it always puts things in a little bit of perspective. I kind of see it like, okay, I'm just coming into my own right now, you know, it's, <laughs> things is just starting to roll, you know, fall into place. If I can keep the body so it doesn't fall apart and keep yeah. that strong, shoot, I, you know, 20 years still go, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just the number, yeah, that's and that's the thing is, is you just got to keep that in your head and. Like Uncle said, follow more. Yeah. That's <laughs> Keep right. on rolling. <laughs> There's many schools of learning out there within the culture. Yeah. So I've been privileged to be able to experiment in many different portions of it and have experiences within that. There's a lot of pressure nowadays on Hawaiians to be politically correct or authentic. Do I worry about am I doing enough or am I Hawaiian enough? Yeah, people who do things better than me, who know way more than I, who I kind of had to like search for everything, you know, kind of like, oh, find people who were, who were willing to share. And that's been my journey through life. There's knowledge everywhere. You just have to open your eyes and be willing to receive. I'm glad that you shared that. And I'm glad that you were able to to articulate it in that way, because that makes a lot of sense. I met Uncle Kimi Burke. He was a forestry ranger for years and years, and he ended up breaking his back during a helicopter accident many years ago. In going through his rehab, he ended up finding his cultural roots in his art, making Hawaiian weapons, and he embraced it wholeheartedly. And he's been kind of inspiration. We call him the old boy. He just keeps on going. And his whole thing is just, you know, holomua, no matter what, you got to just keep moving. Yeah. So how would you describe a fulfilled life? But for me, I think I live a pretty fulfilled life right now. I feel happy in where I am. I still aspire for greater things and to do more and to touch more people and to have more of those personal connections with classmates, friends, family, and things like that. For what I do have, I appreciate it. And I think I'm very lucky in that sense. I found a place where 
I'm I'm here to stay, so to speak. Uh, as I built my house, I have my aina. I you know I I'm established in that sense. I love living in Hilo and the people and everything. I mean, there's always room for improvement. And if nothing else, you know, COVID has taught us that you know be ready for 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 shit to hit the fan. You know what I mean? But in the same token, I think that uh, appreciating what you have is a big part of leading a fulfilled life. If you can't appreciate what you already have right there in front of you, then you never, you might never find that fulfillment. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for your time, Kano. No, mahalo. Thank you, David. If, if and I'm, if you ever, you ever Big Island, we'll have that beer for sure. If, if I'm ever Big yeah. Island, uh, I'll call you before I land. <laughs> yes. Call me ahead of time. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of Primetime 89. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Primetime 89. I'd like to thank our guest, Kainoa Makua, for taking the time to talk story with us.